0: the following sermon is brought to you by new covenant community church a bible-based church located on route 62 east of johnstown ohio to learn about new covenant community church visit www.new-covenant.org again that is new-covenant.org now enjoy the message please be seated in god's house as you're taking your bibles To the Old Testament book of Daniel, the first chapter is where we will be in just a moment. Before I get into preaching, we always say as a leadership of a church and just all of us collectively as a family of God, we always want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God as we just got done singing. And uh, before I preach what I, I do believe God has called me to preach, I just want to say that it has certainly been a weird season. Um, and I just feel drawn to the Holy Spirit of God to share this with you right now. It has definitely been a weird season of illness. I think we all know that. We all recognize that. We all see that. And, uh, and I know that the devil would love, he would absolutely love, For there to be a dividing line in the church over vaccine, not vaccine, mask, not mask, and all the rest. And uh, I know that that's what the devil would love to do. And I just think it's important for us to remember some things that we ought to be praying for the unity of the church. I know there's a a wide range of opinions and views based based on the whole vaccine and mask and all the rest. Um, I can tell you, just standing before God and you this morning, that from the standpoint of this church and this flock that I am entrusted to the Lord to shepherd and to love, Um, I know we all hear different results of effectiveness, of different practices and whatnot, but we all know among us that those who have gotten the vaccine and not gotten the vaccine are getting sick. Many of them are at home right now. And uh, so what I think there is definitely room for and it would be wise for us to do together is to remember to show compassion and love to one another and let people do their research and make wise decisions. And just like we said in the very beginning of all of this, to let each person, each family be in the driver's seat of their own health and safety and to stay in your own lane and to let people make decisions as they're learning about these things and all the rest. I do feel biblically that it is true and I need to say out loud that, and this is probably hopefully, I pray that this is not a surprise to any of us, That it's very, very clear that what is happening in the world, if we are a people, if we are a student of God's word, it should be inextricably clear that what is happening with the vaccine, and I'm not negating its effectiveness, you do your own research for that. But it ought to be clear to all of us that it is the precursor. It is the warm-up show to the mark of the beast as we see it outlined in the book of Revelation. It is the warm-up act to that. Many of the elements that have gone along with many of the COVID practices are many of the things that we know absolutely, without a doubt, will be also consistent with the mark of the beast. It's vitally important, regardless of your view and opinion of the effectiveness of certain practices, that you see that spiritual standpoint, that you see and take note of the times in which we're in. So let us be a people that fellowships together like brothers and sisters. Let's stay in our own lane of the health practices. And again, you be in the driver's seat of your own health and safety and don't be in the driver's seat of anyone else's. Let people research, let people make decisions and see the grander scheme of God's plan for redemptive history. So that's what I'll say on that. And uh, and now I'm going to preach. Sound good? Uh, Just some disclaimers, though, regarding this message that I'll now be preaching. Uh, Take your own notes. I usually will give people, like, the points that are very, very clear and outlined. I'm going to be preaching slightly differently today. So take your own notes as you'd like. That's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two is I'm going to be making some interpretations out of God's Word. And it is vital today, as it always is, that you be a student of God's Word. There will be times where I will say the word perhaps or maybe this is what we're seeing from God's word. It's important that you have the word of God in your hand to be making some of these interpretations yourself to affirm whether or not you see them as true or not. That's vitally important. The last disclaimer I'll simply give is I watched many sermons this week from old preachers. From old, good, faithful preachers. And I saw a theme of the things and the types of things that they were preaching. And they've been faithful men, people I've respected and all the rest, and, and still are faithful gospel preachers. But there was a look on their face as they preached some of the things that I'll be preaching this morning. And it was a look on their face that I never, ever want to have as a preacher. It scared me, quite frankly. The look on their face was, it was one of sadness. It was almost a one of regret. It was almost like this sense that I saw from numerous people this week, of even famous preachers that I watched, that it was almost the look on their face said something like, I wish I would have preached this harder ten years ago. And the look that that produced on their face was, was scary. So I'm preaching this morning for... No regrets in the future. I'm preaching this morning such that I don't have to worry about having that, that look on my face as an old preacher. I just want to get it all out now and preach the Word of God to you. So with all that being said, I'd like to share with you something that you already know as a believer. As a Christian today in America and in the world in which we find ourselves, we are no longer the home team We no longer have the home field advantage. What that means is that you're not the popular one anymore. As a believer today, you'll get booed when you try to score. It means that the majority isn't for you. It means that you're looked upon with a kind of disdain that the other players on the field of play don't quite have. Now, it has not always been that case. It was just a few short decades ago that that believers, that followers of the Lord Jesus Christ had the home team advantage. They had the home field advantage. They were respected. Prayer was seen as vital. And even in spaces that people didn't agree with you on, they would still respect you enough for you to have your voice and for your word to be heard. And you probably already know that that is no longer the case. We no longer have this home field advantage. And as best I can tell, that leaves us, you and I this morning, with two options. Option number one is to join the opposing team. Many have already done this. Many people that have operated their lives falsely underneath the banner of Christ have already chosen to join the opposing team. And I don't know about you, but I see plenty of those kinds of folks on my social media platforms, my news feeds, where you see people that are championing every agenda that they are told to champion, everything that comes out of their mouth. It is not the agenda. It is not the movement of Scripture. It is not the gospel. We would call them woke, I would say, seeing this scripturally, seeing this in a spiritual battle kind of way in which we find ourselves, that that they have joined the opposing team. They They are workers of the kingdom of darkness. So that's one option on the table for us, is to simply join the opposing team and become this lukewarm, everyone happy with us, kind of way the world calls it woke the Bible calls it lukewarm the second option on the table for us this morning would be to learn how to operate as the visiting team learn how to just be okay with people booing when we as Christians try to score learn to be okay with going against the grain against the flow of the river, being okay with those kinds of things and learning how we ought to operate as the visiting team on the field of play, which of course is the world and the culture in which we find ourselves. And Daniel chapter one gives us some direction in this. It paints a picture for us and then it shows us what to do. So if you're in Daniel chapter one, I invite you to look to verse one and we come to a particular place Throughout this age in the Old Testament in which there was wickedness, not only among leadership, but among people as well. So we read in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure, a house of his God. So right on the scene as God's word is painting this picture for us is that there were some evil influences in the land in that time. We know of this Jehoiakim character that he was not a good king. He was not a good leader. He was indeed a wicked man. We know from Scripture and other areas that he was known for a couple of things, one of which was that he was a shedder of innocent blood, that he killed innocent people. That was one of the things that this king of Judah was known for, for being one that would shed innocent blood. He was also known for his great disdain of Scripture. It's even told in one particular place in Scripture that It was Jeremiah who was the prophet of that day, and, and he so disdained the word of God. This King Jehoiakim, he so disdained the word of God that he had someone open up a scroll that Isaiah had written, and the person would read just a couple lines, and then Jehoiakim would take the scribe's knife, which was a knife that they used for cutting out the scrolls and different things, and he would cut off the lines that had just been read, and he threw them into the fire. And it's interesting to note how quickly this Jehoiakim character became like that because if you know your Bible well, you'll know that his father was Josiah who was the youngest king, I believe it was, in Israel who was known to restore the true worship among God's people. He was the one that tore down the high places, got rid of all the altars of worships of false gods, he got rid of all those things, and he restored some true worship of the one true almighty God in the land. But just one generation later, From Josiah to his son, Jehoiakim, we now see this complete disarray, this shedding of innocent blood, this evil influence that he's infecting into the world, into the place where God's people were, and the people were carrying out these same kinds of atrocities. We have seen some of these exact same things in America today. We are now a land whose sewer systems run red with the blood of aborted babies. We have become a people that sheds innocent blood. We have become a people that disdains the word of God. It has been disdained in the schools. It has been disdained in the courtrooms where they have removed the Ten Commandments from it. It is disdained in our culture, for sure, and in many churches today, the entirety of the Word of God, the whole counsel of the Word of God, in all of its conviction, all of its truth, all of its perfection, all of its lack of error, that Word of God is disdained in many churches today. And we have become a people, we have become a land, we have become a place of evil influences. We also see from God's word in Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 which we already read a misplaced worship. We know that King Jehoiakim he had some articles of worship some things that belonged and we don't know precisely what those things were but there were things items that belonged in the temple. They belonged to be for the worship of God. The worship was to be to God And when God gave him over to this debased mind and the Nebuchadnezzar comes over into Jerusalem and besieges it, we see that he then takes those items, whatever those items were that belonged in the house of God, the things of worship that belonged in God's house. He took to his own place. He put them in the house of his own false God is what King Nebuchadnezzar did. It was misplaced worship. We are seeing misplaced worship In our country today and all over the world, Uh, we're winding down closer to the end of summer here and, and very soon fall will be upon us. And I didn't last year because I was, anytime I had free time, I was out clear cutting the property where our house is going to be going. So I wasn't able to make it out into the deer woods at all last year. But boy, am I excited this fall to go out with a bow and arrow and snap myself an unsuspecting herbivore to put in my freezer. Like I'm just really excited to get out into the deer woods and put some good meat in the freezer. I'm really looking forward to that. And I know people in that circle of deer hunters, they won't be in church the entirety of deer season. Because the worship has been taken from the house of God and it's been taken to the deer woods. Now hear me, this is not just a something that deer hunters need to modify their behavior to act in a certain way. That's not it at all. It's simply reflective of where their hearts already were. I don't know if you've been to some weddings recently, but when I read the word of God, weddings, marriage, marriage relationship between husband and wife, all of those things, as best I can tell from God's word, are intended and purposed to be one very large arrow pointing to Christ. That's the point. That's the purpose. We even see indications of that in parables that Jesus used, like in Matthew 25, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. That parable where there's the five foolish virgins that let their lamps burn down. There's ten of them there. They're waiting for the bridegroom. The foolish ones don't keep their lamps trimmed. They let them run out of oil. And the wise ones kept their lamps burning. Now, we obviously know that the point of that story is to be ready for the return of Christ. We obviously know that that is the overarching, that's the main point of that story, but even secondarily in that picture of marriage that we have, that the bridegroom, the bridegroom coming, being about Christ, marriage being about Christ, the wedding being about Christ, all of those things to point to the bridegroom. But when you go to a wedding today, many of them are simply drunken parties that people are worshipped. The bride is worshipped. It's And hear me, I'm not saying that they need to reverse everything and champion the the groom like they do the bride. That's not the point. I'm saying the worship has been misplaced. Just like it was in the day of King Jehoiakim, so it is today. So this result of evil influences and misplaced worship, we see in God's word that this brought about God's judgment. In verse 2, which we already already read, it says, And the Lord gave. Look to your neighbor and say, And the Lord gave. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim over to this Babylonian captivity. He gave him over. It's almost like it says there in Romans 1 where God will give people over to a debased mind. It's almost as if God says, You want to do it your own way? You want to be this evil influence and shed innocent blood? You want to disdain my word? you want to do all these evil things in this place, this worship that is supposed to be directed to me, you want to do those things, then I'll give you over to experience the results of your actions. I'll give you over to this kind of debased mind. And the pattern that we see here, what we see for certain in the Word of God is He takes His people who have been disobedient... And through the hand of other wicked people, God will express judgment. We see the Israelites in this way, being disobedient, being this evil influence, misplacing the worship, and God, through the Babylonians, who were an idolatrous, wicked people, God exercised his judgment over his people through the hand of a wicked people. And that's not just what we see here in the beginning of the book of Daniel. This is something that we see through the entirety of Scripture, We've seen that with the captivity that the God's people experienced in Egypt. God expressing judgment through the hand of a wicked nation. We see it when even after they leave Egypt, through the Canaanites, when God's people would be disobedient. The Canaanites would be that measuring thing that God would use to express judgment against His people for those reasons. We see it even in the New Testament. With the Romans and some of the things that they were experiencing there. With the Pharisees and the great hypocrisy that had gone through the leadership. And God expressing judgment through a people in that kind of way. And it just makes me step back and wonder, church. We've all undoubtedly been taking note of what's going on in Afghanistan right now. And it just makes me wonder... Could it be, because if you know your history, even your very recent history at all, you'll know that the condition right now in Afghanistan is very similar to what was there previous to what we experienced as a nation in 9-11. And it just makes me wonder, if, if could it be that God is preparing to express judgment upon a nation with the blood of aborted babies in the sewer, and He's getting ready to use a wicked nation themselves to express judgment again, perhaps, perhaps. Perhaps that's what's happened. People have been talking all the time about pray for Afghanistan. And I and I totally get that. Yes, we ought to be praying. I read just this morning that in Kabul, which is the place we've all been seeing on the news and all that's been going on there, that between last night and this morning, that the underground church has essentially been murdered, all of them, in Kabul, in that city. The Taliban has been going around. And if you're seen, if you're caught with a Bible app on your phone or if the Bible is in your search history, they simply slaughter you on the street. That's what's been going on there, and we see people pray for Afghanistan, and it makes me just think, yes, but pray what? What is it that we're supposed to pray for in that circumstance? Should we pray that we be more like them? I think that maybe, probably, perhaps we should be like that church, because the church in Afghanistan, they met knowing it was going to be their complete and utter doom, and in America, we are in a land full of places, full of people. They didn't even make it to church because it would make them feel uncomfortable. So should we pray for the church in Afghanistan? Maybe that we become much more like the church there, just perhaps. And should we pray just... Uh, sometimes I think Christians get into this place where they just pray these general, meaning-nothing prayers when there's misfortune of any kind. Maybe we should just step back and say, what is the God who never changes? What is He doing? Could it be that God is getting ready to express judgment upon America for all of the crimes that it is very, very guilty of? Perhaps. And there is certainly an element of this that is unknowable. And what I mean by that is in Romans eleven thirty three through 34 it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor. So that's why I put the great big perhaps in all of that. There is an element of God's judgments that are unknowable, but there certainly are some patterns that we see God who does not change, who will not change, who has not changed, and the way that he expresses himself to a people, particularly to his people. So regardless of whether I'm right in thinking and interpreting some of these things this way or not, the answer for us is still the same. It's still to preach the gospel. It's still to preach that people must repent of their sin, which is great before God. That is still the answer for us. It's still the answer in Kabul, Afghanistan. It's still the answer in Johnstown, Ohio, friends. So God's word continues to paint for us a picture Look now to verse three if you would. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there were no blemish, in whom there was no blemish, but good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So when there's this evil influence among the leadership and among the people, there's a misplaced worship bringing about God's judgment, we see in the word of God that that judgment expressed itself through the means of this Nebuchadnezzar, who's also leading a wicked nation, but it manifests itself particularly such that God's people would be taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans and bring about this thing such that the finest and choicest and youngest of the people of God would have the ability to serve in the king's palace. Now let me explain this for us this morning. The Chaldeans, if you don't know, they were a people that were geographically close to Babylon. They were essentially swallowed up. Their culture was essentially swallowed up by that of the Babylonian empire. Now, the Chaldeans were a wicked people. They were known particularly for their witchcraft. Much of their religious practice, much of their language was actually adopted by that of the Babylonians. And so we see that this... Way in which this, the Lord's judgment against his people manifested itself, essentially, to put it in simple terms, manifests itself through the means of brainwashing. Teaching God's people the language and literature of the Chaldeans and making them ready such that they could serve in the king's palace, making them government workers, you might say. And whether I'm right about this or not, which I certainly believe that I am, what is very clear, and what I certainly hope is clear to you this morning also, is that there is definitely, and I'm trying to explain the reason for you biblically, but hopefully whether you understand the reason or not, that you have come to the understanding and conclusion that we as a people are trying to be brainwashed. If you believe that, somebody say yes. It is happening in our Schools, when it comes to college and career folks, you're try, they're trying to teach you the language and literature of the Chaldeans to teach you anything other than Christianity. We're seeing the exact same thing happening in our colleges, in our higher education institutions, for the language and the literature of the Chaldeans to be taught to you. And not only that, but an ability to serve in the king's palace. For there to be this way in which that you get this four-year degree and then you'll have this kind of job. You get this kind of degree and then all of a sudden you'll be able to make this certain kind of money. That agenda was pushed super hard just a few short years ago when I was going through college. There is an attempt to brainwash our college and career age people. That is without a shadow of a doubt. For the rest of us that are old adults who don't sleep well enough because our kids are crying and our back's hurt and we watch things on the media, you and I are trying, they're trying to brainwash us also. If you believe that what, if you believe everything that you see on the media, you're going to be believing mostly, completely lies coming out of that. Whether it's on TV or social media or any, most, most of the ways in which you hear what's going on, much of what you see and hear is a lie. So turn it off. You can only expose yourself to so much brainwashing before you'll start to believe it. And it's very vital that we as believers are very careful with how much of that nonsense that we're exposing ourselves to. If the TV is playing in your house all day long, turn it off. If you are in your, and I'm preaching to myself right here, if you're in Facebook all the time, turn it off. They are absolutely trying to brainwash a people and the one demographic that is more clear than any other of this reality are children, are absolutely children in the public school setting. There is an absolute agenda to brainwash children. Now hear me and hear me clearly, there are exceptions to some of these categories. In the case of the college and career students, there are some schools that are Christian. There are some schools that don't have this evil, wicked agenda of brainwashing. That is the case in some circumstances, but not many. There are some news platforms that still are simply displaying what's going on, but it is not the rule anymore, it is indeed the exception. There are some schools that kids can go to and gather together where there's not this evil, wicked agenda, but they are very, very few. And it's also worth noting that things used to be different just a few short years ago. Things used to be different where media was really about displaying what's going on in the world, and then you got to decide what it was, rather than you tr- them trying to, to shape and to mold how you think and what you say and what you believe wasn't too long ago that those things happened, both with schools and media and with kids in school, but it is very clear, it is undeniably clear that the overarching agenda of the public school setting for our youngest uh, among us, of the children, is for this wicked agenda of critical race theory and sexual perversions being taught to even kindergartners. They're being taught to think the way that they're told to think. They're being taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Paul Washer, who, if you know him, he's a preacher, he one time was quoted saying, We wonder why we have lost a generation of kids. And the reason is because we have fed them into the mouth of the devil. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, I'm not sure if that's the case. I'm not sure you're seeing all of that clearly and that you can make all of those parallels between what's going on in the world today and what we see having already happened in the book of Daniel. If that's you, just continue on as we continue on preaching of God's word this morning. Look, if you would, to verse 5. And the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. So let's just put the car in park right there for a moment, and let's just take note, let's take a survey of the three avenues through which Nebuchadnezzar was going to brainwash these people. It was through the means of education, the jobs that he was offering, which involved money, and food. And I don't know about you, but I think it's mighty interesting that the cry of the politician today is free education, student loan forgiveness. Not only that, but we'll put money in your bank account throughout COVID. Not only that, but we'll be in places like New York where you have to have a vaccine card just to be able to go into the grocery store. So maybe just perhaps, I'm not crazy for thinking that in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar was using education, money, and food, that we see the same spirit in our world today. Moving on in God's Word. Second part, I believe, of verse 5. And three years of training them. So Nebuchadnezzar had determined that it would take three years to do this. And I think that maybe just perhaps many colleges have decided that it would take them four. But maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. You have the word of God in your hand. You study it like crazy and you make a determination about this. Moving on in God's word. So that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And you say, well, Pastor, what do what all these names mean? What's the point of why did they change the names in that way? And it's kind of interesting when you take note that in the Hebrew culture of God's people in that way, that they would name them things pertinent to who God is. The name Daniel means God is my judge. The name Hananiah means grace, mercy, gift of God. The name Mishael means who is like God. The name Azariah means helped by God. And the names that they were given, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are all names of Chaldean and Babylonian false idols. Part of this brainwashing plan was to reassign some stuff. To rename who it is that they were, who, to, the, the names that their parents gave them. God is my judge, grace, mercy, gift of God. Who is like God, helped by God. Those names that their parents had given them were being reassigned, reestablished. That was part of this three-year brainwashing plan. And I believe absolutely that we're seeing some of those reassignings in today's world as well. Did you know that in today's world, to be politically correct, according to Joe Biden, you can no longer call them mothers. They're called birthing people. I mean, how stupid is that? I mean, that's just—I can't even get right in my mind around that. And before you get all excited and I'm bad mouthing Joe Biden, just remember—and I hope you see that—that that there are Republicans that support this kind of craziness also. I think that just maybe, perhaps, that this whole Democratic Republican thing just turns out that there's two sides of the same nickel. They support this ungodliness as well. It's no longer fathers—you can't say fathers. To be politically correct, you have to say second biological parent. There you go, dads. Second biological parents. It's no longer breast milk. It's chest milk or human milk. I mean, it's amazing some people are smart enough to still be breathing. I mean, it's... I remember one time shortly after Daisy was born... And I'd been outside working. My shirt had gotten, I think it was like animal manure or mud or something on it. So before coming inside, I took my shirt off. I walk in the house. Daisy's only a few weeks old. And she's crying. And Abby was tied up doing something. So I picked up the baby. And she thought for a moment that it was her mother. And Daisy got one look at my flat man chest. And she started crying, okay? That's because she needed her mother. She didn't need chest milk or human milk. She needed breast milk it's no longer male and female anymore it's taught to even kindergartners in some schools it's called a gender decision isn't that nice so what are we to do as parents what are we to do as a people for particularly parents first and I'm passionate about this because I am one let me simply say this if someone was breaking into your home tonight to try and physically take away your children you would lose your mind you would go absolutely crazy at the fact that there would someone to break into your home to try and physically steal your children Can I just tell you that same kind of intensity? Not when someone is trying to steal them physically, but when people are trying to steal them spiritually, when people are trying to steal them intellectually, when people are trying to steal them emotionally. Parents, you ought to lose your mind over that kind of craziness with the same kind of intensity. And in my judgment, for, for you to be that, for you to be that kind of parent, It is your responsibility for you to teach and to train your children. It's your responsibility to know what it is that they're being fed, to know what it is that they're being taught, to ensure that there's not people trying to steal them emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. You go flipping crazy if someone came in and tried to harm them physically. Why aren't you doing it for them spiritually? We must. We absolutely must. And in my judgment, that means basically one of two things. It means that you either homeschool your children, where by default, you are the one that has to be responsible for teaching them and ensuring that they're not being... Stolen and taken away spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, or it means that you understand every single thing that they're being taught in school. That you are taking the prerogative upon yourself to understand what every single homework assignment is. To know every single jot and tittle that they are being taught so that you know whether or not they're trying to be stolen. It's vital. It is so vital. And some people will say, well, Pastor Ben, our kids have to go to school so that they can be a light in that environment. That's worked out great, hasn't it? The devil is winning. The devil is absolutely winning in that environment. I don't know about you, but I love the foundation that we see The parents of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah gave them. Gave them a foundation. Gave them some clarity of who they were. God is my judge, grace, mercy, gift of the Lord who is like God, helped by God. They had such a foundation even into their name that every time Daniel's mommy and daddy were to call out his name that he would be reminded that God is judge. And parents, in the same way that back it was in the Old Testament, the way that parents laid that foundation and gave them a strong place to stand and told them who they were, us parents and grandparents, we need to be doing the same thing, telling them who they are in Christ, saying that if you're a little boy, you're a boy, and it's a good thing that God made you a boy because God made you that way. You need to be telling them who they are, build that same kind of foundation that they did all those years ago in the Old Testament And among the Hebrew people. The foundation that the parents gave them led to some results. And we see them in verse 8. Look there if you would please. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. With the portion of the king's delicacies. Nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So it helps right now for me to explain that, that there were some dietary restrictions in the Old Testament for God's people that were vital for them to observe as to not make themselves unclean, as to not defile themselves. And what we see Daniel doing, what we see this foundation, even down to naming who they were, this foundation brought about this thing such that Daniel drew a line. Daniel drew a line in the sand and said, I'm not going past this line. He said, I'll go to your school, I'll take your job and I'll spend your money. I'll even able to be eat to to eat some of your food, but don't ask me to do anything that is contrary to my faith. Daniel drew a line. So here's the application for all of us, and I hope you hear me clearly this morning, that that what it's time for us to do is to purpose in our hearts like Daniel that we're going to draw a line. We're going to draw a line saying that you can come this far, but no further. Don't ask me to do anything that is going to be contrary to my faith. When in the schools, they're wanting to teach kids this perverted garbage, even down to kindergartners. You draw a line, parent, and you be the one to go in there and say, Absolutely not. If you think that you're going to teach my kid these things that are perverted against science, against nature, and ultimately against the word of God, you have lost your marbles. If you think that I'm going to let you teach my kid these things when Biden wants to not call them mothers anymore, but call them birthing people, they're mothers. And they've got body parts that are perfectly designed by a perfect creator for that perfect role that God has set up for mothers. We draw a line. I'll I'll, I'll have your job, I'll go to your school, but don't ask me to do anything that is contrary to the Word of God, contrary to this faith. And dads, listen to me. We need to draw a line in our families as well. If someone physically tried to break into your home to steal your children, and you hide behind your wife so that she can go protect your kids... You are, by definition, what's known as an absolute coward. It is your job, dads. It is your job to pitch a fit when the school's trying to teach your kids ungodly, un- just completely bogus garbage nonsense. It's your job to go into the principal's office. Don't stand behind. If you would be the one out front to protect your kids physically, don't make your wife be the one to lead the charge to make sure that someone's not stealing your kids spiritually, mentally, intellectually. You lead that charge, dads. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Own it. It's your job. You be the one to pitch the fit. You go to every teacher-parent meeting. You be in that school every day of the week to make sure that someone's not stealing and brainwashing your children. That's your job. It's our job as a church to draw a line, dear friends. To draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to play this stupid game. We're not going this direction. God's word says it. We have faith in the Creator. We have faith in the Savior that has redeemed us and won us. We'll go along. We'll do these things. We understand that we're likely being swept into this judgment of God in the same way that Daniel and his friends were. But don't ask us to do anything that is contrary to our faith. We will not do it. It's time to draw a line, church. Somebody say amen. It's time for us to draw this line. And drawing a line in the sand, as it were, it does something very particular. In verse 8, we just read how Daniel was not going to defile himself. And verse 9, next sentence, look at it. Now God had brought Daniel into favor. Somebody shout favor. Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. So we've seen the story. We've seen how it's played out. God's people and their wickedness and their misplaced worship and their evil influence and their disdain of scripture and their shedding of innocent blood. God's judgment being poured out through the hand of another wicked nation. We see people caught up in the mix of that. And we see people who had a foundation that their parents gave them to stand strong upon it and say, I'm drawing this line. And it's awesome. It's awesome that the next breath out of Daniel drawing that line is God saying, and I gave him favor because of it. So that's why I'm happy today. I don't know about you. I'm happy and I'm looking forward to some things. I'm looking forward to drawing a line in my family. I'm looking forward to drawing a line in the sand as the leader of this church. I'm looking forward to drawing some of those lines so that we can get some favor of God. I'm looking forward to that. And that's something that is so awesome that, that God's word has already given us this model. Already given us this platform to see how God interacts with people in this way. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And I believe that God in his sovereignty, I'm not trying to strong arm the will of God. But in his sovereignty and in his will as he sees fit, I believe that he will bring me and my family some favor for drawing a line in the sand. I believe that he will and already has blessed this church for drawing a line in the sand in some particular areas. I'm so glad that it's not called in our Bibles the book of Belteshazzar. Somebody say amen. I'm glad that it's called the book of Daniel. I'm glad it's called the book of God is my judge and not the book of Belteshazzar. What that tells us is there was some blessing along with that. God blessed the foundation even in that environment. It's not the book of Belteshazzar. It's the book of Daniel. I'm looking for God to be with me in this church in the same way that God was with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in that fire, which we know the Bible references them in their new name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm I'm looking for God to be with us through that kind of fire. And that's awesome that we get to look forward to that. As I was halfway done preparing this sermon, I went home and was going to finish it the next day. And as the evening was winding down and the children were in bed, I was watching this YouTube video of a Christian YouTuber that I like watching and wouldn't you know it he was discussing he had a live stream discussing this very text already had the beginning of the sermon I already outlined and, and he was talking about you know one of the great things that we get to look forward to even in this environment in which we see ourselves even in which this place in which we are no longer the home team one of the awesome truths of scripture is to know that when you survey the whole story of Daniel and all that went on and all that The one person that you think in humanistic ability, the hardest person to save in that whole deal would be Nebuchadnezzar. But guess who it is that ends up repenting? Guess who it is at the end of the story that ends up worshiping God and recognizing him as God? So just hold on to yourselves here, church, because don't forget that even in the mess in which we find ourselves, God could be saving the most dark, evil, influencer among the entire world right now god could save them and that's awesome what would you do if joe biden became the next billy graham you laugh but it could happen god could do that he's done it before do you believe his word church because he's done it he could do it again he could absolutely do it again what if God were to turn one, one of the members of the Taliban right now? What if he were to turn them into the greatest preacher that this church age has ever seen? It could happen. You think it's impossible. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are. So when a culture crumbles, when we are the visiting team, I, I, I'm, I'm done praying Pray for Afghanistan. Yeah, but how? Just, Lord, help everyone feel better. We need to be way, way beyond that. It's time to draw a line in the sand and to take God's Word seriously, to digest it, to digest lots of it so that we can see what's happening. It's time for us to draw a line in the sand as a church, as we already have done and will continue to do, to say, we're not going to play this world again. We are here in this mess in which we find ourselves, and there are things that we have to go along with, and there's things that we just... It'd be great if we could just wake up and everything was beautiful, but it ain't. It's not. It's not all sunshine and roses, and we very likely will be caught up in God's judgment in the same way that Daniel and his friends were. But even in the midst of that, we will draw a line in the sand as a church, and hopefully for us as a family, being led by the fathers to ensure that our children are not being brainwashed, which many of them are. And I believe if we draw that line in the sand, I believe that just like Daniel, we will find favor even in the place in which we find ourselves. I believe we'll experience that favor as a church. I believe we'll experience that favor as individual families. And I believe with all my heart that God could save the most wicked person that you could think of and turn them like he did for Nebuchadnezzar into someone who proclaims the greatness, the reality, the truth, and the goodness of God. Would you stand with me as we come to worship? Father, purify your church as we wait for you, make us strong. Make us not dull to these things. Make us a people strong in your word with great discernment and a great boldness to draw a line in the sand. Father, we're not doing this to bend your arm and to bend your will. We're doing it because your word has shown the benefit of standing strong. We're doing it because you're good, because you have won us by your love and mercy. Jesus, thank you for the redemption that you have purchased. Now let us do the right things with it, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name and all the church says.